I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Genesis 29, verse 11, 7, and 18, and then Genesis 35. I'm going to talk specifically today about childbirth, about tragedy and triumph, about a mother's declaration and how the world changed with one very young woman. Her name is Rachel. This is actually a story that could be scripted for a movie or miniseries because it deals with the beginning and the end of a very short life that changed the world forever. And so I want to read it from Genesis 29 in the New King James Version. This is a story of a young man who saw a young woman and then loved her and lost her, but her impact remains to this day. Genesis 29, verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. And now Jacob loved Rachel. Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said to her father, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now that's when they met. We go to Genesis 35 beginning at verse 16 and we find Rachel giving childbirth to her second child. Then they journeyed from Bethel and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. She had hard labor. And now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but the father called him Benjamin. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now, this story comes from the book of Genesis, which is a book of beginnings. The word Genesis actually means the beginning. And so everything that we have in life is introduced to us somewhere in the book of Genesis. No matter what you're dealing with today, it all roots in the book of Genesis. Here we see the beginnings of many things. First of all, in Genesis, there's the beginning of childbirth. And that happens when Eve gives birth to Cain and Abel. But here, towards the end of the book, there is childbirth through Rachel. First kiss is mentioned in Genesis. We read that. It said that Jacob, when he met Rachel, 
he kissed her and then cried. That's introduced in Genesis. Romance, love. It said Jacob loved Rachel. It's actually the only place in the Bible where it relates love to marriage. Where it says Jacob loved Rachel. That's introduced to us in Genesis. And then she is the first woman to die in childbirth. And we find that also in the book of Genesis. Now, these characters may be a little strange to you, so give me a minute to set this up because when we see the man Jacob, as he's mentioned in the scriptures, his name by definition means deceiver or trickster. He is the world's first con man. He is the world's first confidence man. Jacob is a crook by every standard of the word. If you study anything about Jacob, you will find him to be a man that has no conscience. He will deceive his own family. He will deceive his friends. He will take advantage of anybody. Jacob is nobody's friend. And when we meet him here in Genesis 29, he's gotten in so much trouble for defrauding people until he's had to run away and find life somewhere else. And he goes to where he's got some kinspeople. Now, you will remember, Jacob, that he is down the line from Abraham. There is Abraham who had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had 12 sons. One, well, Isaac had two sons, and one of whom was named Jacob. So here is Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Abraham is an honest man. Jacob is a dishonest man. Abraham is a faithful man. Jacob is an unfaithful man. Abraham is a good man. Jacob ain't never been good. The idea that, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree is not always true. Sometimes you can have a good father, a good grandmother, and you can still have bad children. And Jacob shows us that, that he is just a step down from Abraham, the most celebrated man of all spiritual history, and yet Jacob is the worst guy on the planet. He runs for his life. He's running to start a new life. And he runs to a place where he has an uncle named Laban. Laban has two daughters, one named Leah, the oldest, and the other named Rachel. Now, we understand that Leah was not attractive. Uh, the verse that we read said that she had delicate eyes. The King James Version says that her eyes were weak, that Leah was not good looking at all. But Rachel, the Bible said, was beautiful of form and appearance. Well, Jacob saw both. He saw Leah and she didn't attract him. But when he saw Rachel, he got all caught up in who Rachel was. And the Bible says... He sneaked up to her at a point where she was trying to get water from the well, helped her get the water, and then he snuck a kiss in on her. And then he started crying. Well, he asked her father, could he marry her? And he said to her father, I will work free for you for seven years if you will give me her hand in marriage. And so the father agreed. He worked seven years, and there was a wedding. But the father put Leah in the wedding with a veil over her face. Jacob had no idea who he was marrying until they went on the honeymoon. 
And when they got on the honeymoon and she took the veil off, behold, it was the wrong sister. He went back to the father and said, you know, that wasn't what we agreed on. He said, well, you know, where we live over here, the oldest girl has to marry first. So I really couldn't give you the younger girl until the older girl was married. He said, well, listen, I'll work seven more years if you give me Rachel. So for a total of 14 years, he worked free so that he could have Rachel as his bride. And the Bible said that he loved Rachel, but he did not love Leah. So we see all of that going on, and it teaches us several things we need to look at. Because when you understand what Jacob put on the line in order to get Rachel, he earned her. Because a wise woman must be earned. A wise woman is the kind of woman that will always put stipulations on a guy to see if he's really sincere about what he wants. The truth is that the wise woman is always testing the men because men are naturally attracted to women. I wish I had a witness. And just because a man will use a line and tell you how good you look or how nicely you walk or how fine you are or talk to you about your hair or your clothes doesn't really mean that he cares anything about you. The man may just be caring about what he's caring about, which is really not anything to do with you at all, except what he can get from you. I wish I had a witness. But the woman knows how to test the man to see whether or not the man is really sincere. Because if he really wants you, he will earn you. Let me try it again. I could use a little, little energy right there. I said if he really wants you, he will earn you. If he really wants you, he'll put something on the line. If he really wants you, he'll be willing to swim through shark-infested waters just to bring you a popsicle or an ice cream cone. If he really wants you, he'll be willing to lay something of his life down in order to pick you up. I wish I had a witness. The truth is that we got to be careful that we don't just give away that which is precious because that which is precious always comes at a premium price and you can get a ring out of a Cracker Jack box or you can get a ring out of the jewelry store I wish I had a witness and if you tell him well if you like it you better put a ring on it you better examine how much that ring costs because if it's a Cracker Jack box ring, it'll fit your finger the same way, but eventually it'll turn green. He earned her. Can you say that? He what? I wish I had a witness here. Back when Scandal was a hot TV show before its last episode, there was this episode where she said to the president, earn me. And women start tweeting that out. They start texting that all over the place. Earn me. Jacob is willing to earn Rachel. But he got stuck with Leah. Now, he got stuck with Leah. He didn't want Leah. He wasn't attracted to Leah. But Leah ended up in his bed. So for the seven years he worked for Rachel, again, I don't want you to think that he put Leah out. He still used Leah while he was reaching at Rachel. I don't have a witness in the room. I said he was still taking advantage of Leah being there 
even though his eyes were really on Rachel. Brethren, y'all can help me a little bit too. It's all right. I'm not going to tell all the secrets, only about 50% of them today. So you see him taking advantage of the comforts of Leah, letting Leah do the cooking, Leah doing the cleaning, but his mind was really on Rachel. Seven years. Brothers, how long will you wait? And how hard would you work? Seven years became 14. 14 years. 14. When you first saw, when he first saw her, she looked good. What must she have looked like 14 years later? Was she the same beautiful woman? Apparently so. Because he put everything he had, time, talent, and treasure into making her Mrs. Jacob. They married and started having children. And as life would have it, please listen to me. Sometimes what you love the most, you lose first. Sometimes what you've waited for, sometimes you've gone to school, you made preparation, you've saved money, you've made the right plan, and you get it, but it is shortly kept. See, we have the fantasy that if I want it and get it, it'll be there forever. But the truth is that the only thing that doesn't change is God. I said life changes. I said relationships can change. I said jobs can change. I say education can change. Everything changes. The only thing that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is God. And so when you say, well, pastor, you know what I'm trying to do is I want to get with that one person. I want to get with that one place. I want to get that one job that I know is for me. And I agree, it is for you. But for how long? Rachel died, and he still had Leah. Well, look at it. They're traveling a few years later, and she's pregnant. And we don't know if it's because of the trip or something where they camped out. She entered into hard labor. Hard labor. And the midwife who was traveling there with them said to her, now I don't know how she knew this, you will have this son also. How would the midwife know it's a son? They hadn't had one of those tests where you could tell the, the sex of the baby. But she knew. And she said, you will have this son. And the Bible says, she had the baby and died in the process and with her dying breath she named the baby Ben Onai now there are three things that we need to look at and I'm through with this because in her death she changed the world forever we don't always know what level we're working on when we're waiting on God we don't know what work we may have to put into the will of God in order to produce something for God but we think we're doing it for ourselves. She ended up dying with the love of her life by her side and a baby named Ben. Well, first of all, 
in that death she gave to history an unbreakable nation. Now, remember there's Abraham. Church, would you say Abraham? Yes. Then there's Isaac. Would you say Isaac? Now, Isaac had these two sons, Esau and Jacob. This is Jacob. Now, God has said to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. But he only had one child for that promise. One child named Isaac was the promised child for that great nation. How is one old man having, having one son going to be a whole nation? It can't work. A nation is a large population of people who are kin to each other. Abraham is one and Isaac is one. Well, maybe Isaac, since he's the promise, is going to have a bunch of kids. No, he only had two. The one that had the bunch of kids is named Jacob. Once more, church, would you say Jacob? Well, Jacob had 12 kids. And from the 12 kids, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jacob had 12 kids, and all the kids were boys. And from the boys, they all married women and produced kids. And from those people, there came the nation of Israel. But listen, it was the 12th son, Ben, the last one, that completely rounded off the number of the government of God because the government of God is 12. God does things in 12s. There were 12 born to Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 jewels on the high priest's breastplate, 12 names on the high priest's shoulders of the uh, class holding his ephod together. Jesus had 12 disciples. The foundation of the new city will be 12 foundations. There are 12 gates in the city, three gates in the east, three gates in the west, three gates in the north, three gates in the south. Everything about the government of God is based on the number 12. There needed to be one more baby born. Jacob had 11 sons. But listen, they don't know that they are the foundation of a nation. They don't know that they are the promise of God. They don't know that they are the kingdom of God. When the 12th baby is born and it is a boy then the nation of Israel is finally born and set on the right foundation. How do I know that? A couple of things. First of all, God changed Jacob's name to Israel before the babies were all born. So when you see the word Israel, Israel is a man's name. The man whose name Israel's old name was Jacob. Jacob is now Israel. Israel has 12 sons. From the 12 sons come the 12 tribes. From the 12 tribes comes Jesus born at Bethlehem. Listen, you wouldn't be saved now if she hadn't have given that boy in childbirth. Her giving that baby in childbirth is the foundation of the nation of Israel that produced Jesus. Am I doing all right? Because what you need to understand is whenever God does something, you can't change it. Because when God makes a covenant, it abides forever. Walk with me right here. I know it's a little technical, but I'm on my way somewhere. Here's what's going on. God said to Abraham, let's have a covenant or a contract. I'm going to make of you a great nation. He did it with the birth of that boy. 
Listen, that is covenant and the nation of Israel. Can I get you said the say the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel is God's nation. Now we live in the United States of America, but there is no record of us in the Bible. You can have all the different nations of the world that you can name. The only nation that God himself put on the face of the earth is the nation of Israel, which is the nation of Jacob, which was formed when this baby was born. So because it is a covenant nation, you cannot destroy it. Walk with me a little further. There have been kingdoms that have come and gone. Do you remember your studies in school? You remember studying about the Babylonians. <clears throat> you remember studying about Greece and Alexander the Great. You remember studying about Rome and Julius Caesar and, and Caligula Caesar and Augustus Caesar. Where is all of that now? Doesn't exist anymore. But do you remember the nation of Israel? It started here in Genesis and it still goes on right now. The nation of Israel is about as big as the state of Alabama. And nobody bothers it. Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll bomb other places. Nobody messes with Israel. You can talk about what's going on in North Korea and how that, how that bloodthirsty dictator is testing nuclear weapons all around. He won't shoot one at Israel. China is the most fierce military on the face of the earth. Nobody will deny that. They don't mess with Israel. The United States is strong, powerful, and wealthy. We made Israel our friend. But you say, but Israel ain't that big. It ain't no bigger than Alabama. No, it's God's nation. It is God's people. You cannot destroy it. I wish I had a witness. And if you attack it, you will not win. Because there is a covenant in place. That's all I need to tell you is that in your life and mine, there's a covenant in place. Israel is the seed of Abraham. And we're told as believers, we are the seed of Abraham. The truth is where God's covenant is fixed, you cannot destroy it. You can be Alexander the Great, you can be Julius Caesar, you can be Napoleon Bonaparte, you can be Adolf Hitler, you can be Donald Trump. You cannot destroy what God has set up. Let me try that again. You'll, you'll feel me in a minute. See, here's the thing about it. They are unbreakable because they've got covenant. That is the most powerful word in the Bible covenant you know why I'm here covenant you know why you're here covenant you said what's a covenant it's an agreement that God made with people and he says where there is covenant there is his presence where there's his presence there is his protection and so Israel lasts forever because they're God's people. I say Israel is God's people. <laughs> Israel is God's people. We are God's children. Let me try that again. 
our covenant is greater with God than theirs. The Bible says we have a better covenant with better promises. If God protected Israel, he'll protect you double. You're not, you're not getting happy enough over that. Listen to what God said. Listen to what the Bible said about God and Israel. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is the shade upon your right hand. The Lord is keeping you. The Bible said that he is your refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Wait, baby, that's in the old covenant. If he is that good to them in the old covenant, what must he be to us in the new covenant? You know why I pray healing? Because I know it's in the covenant. You know why I walk protected? I know it's in the covenant. You know why I know that God is good to me, takes care of me, that God is all over me, keeping me alive. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, surrounded by angels, covered under the blood of Jesus, walk under the name and the authority of Jesus because I'm covered in the covenant. If God was good to folk in the Old Testament before the cross, what must he be to us on this side of the cross? Don't ever compare yourself to David and what God did back then. He's doing better things now. I said he's doing better things now. Somebody say unbreakable. Listen, the promises of God are unbreakable. And so what God said he would do, he's doing it. Whether you feel it or not. Let me try that again. Somebody in this room is being protected and you don't even know it. You keep complaining to God and asking God, why won't he be better to you than he's been? But the truth is, you don't see how good he really is to you. You don't recognize that near accident you had on your way to church. Because you don't even know that there was an accident that Satan had set up for you to have. You don't even know it. You don't even recognize that when you couldn't find your keys today that that was God's way of helping keeping you alive. Because if you had left home when you were trying to leave home, you have no idea what may have happened en route to get here. You don't even know how God has healed your body with things you thought it was just a pain in your body. But the power of God healed it because of your prayers and your faith. You don't even know it was deadly or fatal. You need to recognize who God is to you. That God blesses you. God provides for you. God protects you. God delivers you. And he does it all without your knowledge. I said, without your knowledge. I wish I could testify of all the good he's done for me, but the truth is I don't know all the good he's done because I've got a covenant. But here's number two. Not only did, did a nation come, but she in birth gave to the world a focused life. A good man was born. A good man was born. When I was a little boy, I was growing up as a foster child, Every time my father would pick up the car keys, I said, Daddy, can I go? He'd go to conventions. He'd go to associations. He'd go to revivals. He'd preach revivals, visit revivals. He was a much older man than I was. I'm 10 years old. He's in his 70s. And he would say to me, come on, we'll, we'll go and you just hang close to me. I said, yes, sir. He'd put me on the front row wherever we go so he could watch over me. After church would be out sometime, my father would be standing around with some of his friends, and his last name was Hudson. They said, Hudson, what you going to make out of that boy? 
Now, you know, they were asking, was he going to make a preacher out of me because I love going to church with him. They were asking, was he going to make a deacon out of me? He said, what you going to make out of that boy? He said, I'm going to try to make a man out of him. You know what a good mother can give to the world more than anything else? Good men and good women. I wish I had a witness. Let me tell you something. Men are not born. Children are born. Men have to be formed. And the only material you got to make a man out of is a boy. And if you got a boy, the best thing you can do is turn that boy into a responsible man. I wish I had a witness. The best thing, mother, you can do for that girl is turn her into a decent lady. That's the best thing you can do. They may never become a doctor or a lawyer. I wish I had a witness. They may never get a college degree. They may never go into any profession that people like to look at and, and go crazy over. They may never become a politician. They may not become a preacher. But the best thing you can do, mama, is make sure that your children are decent, respectable citizens. Children that know how to say yes ma'am and no sir. That know how to be polite and courteous and kind. Because every major breakthrough is on the other side of good manners. Let me try that again. You can have every degree a school can give you. But if you got a nasty attitude, you won't be able to keep a job. Nobody will honor you in any way. People will always push you aside. They'll call you arrogant and cocky and bigoted. But if you can raise your children to contribute to the good of the community. I said to a retired principal that I pastored once, everybody loved her. People would come by the church. I want to see Mrs. Cumberlander. They come by. Finally, one day I said to her, I said, Miss Cumberlanda, it must make you feel real good when people that you taught in school as children come back successful, making a lot of money. She said to me, no, sir. She said, that really doesn't impress me that much. I said, really? She said, no, I just want them to be good people. Oh, I wish I could get a witness here. A good person is worth more. You say, well, no, but you ought, to, you ought to meet my son. He's a surgeon. You ought to meet my daughter. She's a lawyer. Wonderful. But there are lawyers in jail. I don't have a witness here. There are surgeons who are in the cemetery that didn't take care of their own health. Listen, that's great that we make achievements in life. Oh, but to be a good person. The Bible said a good name is to be desired above riches. What good does it do for you to be a multimillionaire and nobody can stand you? Even your wife can't stand you. I wish I had a way. Your husband can't stand you. Your children can't stand you. She gave to the world a good man. So well, how do you do that? Teaching about the Lord. Talking about scripture. You know, video games are all right. But be sure that your child isn't becoming introverted. 
they don't even know how to relate to people because they spend all their time looking down in a screen. Oh, I don't have a witness here. We grew up playing with other children in the neighborhood. We'd go out and play in the dirt, play in the grass, play on the street, play on the hill. I wish I had some help. We'd go down to the open gym and play basketball or go to the basketball court inside the fence. Didn't have to have no nets on the hoop. We'd just play with what we had. But we learn how to be sociable. We learn how to interact with each other. We learn how to treat one another. We learn how to respect and love one another. You looking down in a video screen, you ain't going to learn how to love nobody. You're not going to learn how to fellowship. You're not going to learn how to be sociable because you're too attached to the electronics. Time the electronics. You can stay on it one hour or you can stay on it 30 minutes, but you need to get out of here, get some sunshine. You need to get out here and play with the children across the street while I'm watching. You need to get out and grow up like a normal child. Number three, let's go home. She gave to history an unbreakable nation. She gave to the world a focused life. But lastly, she gave to us a type of Christ, a type of Jesus. Can I tell you the story? Long and bitter was the journey from Bethel. Some nights it rained, other days the scorching sun of the desert was hot on the caravan. She is nine months pregnant and for some reason she's gone into labor. There is a midwife there but the midwife recognizes it's going to be a struggle. She's in hard labor. Without the benefits of the technology that you and I enjoy or knowing much about prenatal care or postnatal, she's in hard labor in primitive times. The midwife sees her fainting and failing. And with a final push. <sighs> the deepest breath. She gives birth to a little boy. The pain is excruciating. And in her dying breath, she names him which by definition means the son of my sorrow. She named him after her pain. She named him after her loss of blood. She named him after her desperation. You can mess a child up doing that. Speaking over them evil and pain. You ain't gonna never be nothing. You're just like your no good daddy. I hate I ever had you. You ain't been nothing but a problem for me ever since the day you was born. That child is scarred for life. 
she's dying. I'm through. And with her last breath, you are the son of my pain. But his father heard it. And when the midwife went to write down on the birth certificate, name of the child, Beno Nye, the father said, no, his name is Benjamin. Which means the son of my right hand. I want to say to every Ben O'Nai in this room, that's not the last word over your life. Maybe you felt depressed. Maybe you felt down and without. Maybe you felt that there's a lot of pain in your life. But I'm here to tell you there's a name change available to you. She called him Ben O'Nai son of my sorrow but the father said no your name is Benjamin the son of the right hand I need a little help here because all of this happened at Ephraim see folk tried to call me Benoni because I was born to a poor single woman on the south side of town. Oh yeah, they call me illegitimate. Like I had something to do with what happened. Oh yeah, they looked down on me and they immediately put me in a category marked for trouble cause I was black, cause I was poor. Because I didn't have nothing, immediately they just they decided to push me over here. I wish I had some black young people here I could talk to. I want you to know the odds are already stacked up against you. While you're in school, you need to be on your best behavior. Because they already think you're crooked. Just because you're black, they already think you'll steal. Just because you're black, they already think you'll lie. Just because you're black, they already think you'll cheat. I wish I had a witness. I want you to know you came into the world with the odds stacked against you. But all of this happened at Ephrath. Ephrath. Y'all ain't shouting. Okay. No, no. It happened at Ephraim. I, I know what I forgot. Ephraim is the Old Testament name of Bethlehem. Born of Bethlehem was the son of the right hand. Listen, listen. They could never have known that 1,500 years later, a woman named Mary, traveling with a fiance named Joseph, would have a baby in Bethlehem that would be the son of the right hand of God. Y'all ain't feeling me. Let me let me try it again. 
You don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know how God will use you. You don't know how God will deliver you. She died at Bethlehem that the baby could live. But 1,500 years later, a baby was born at Bethlehem that died on the cross so that we might live. Benjamin is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was born in poverty. Jesus was called illegitimate. Jesus was called dirty because he came out of Nazareth. And they said nothing good can come out of Nazareth. But what they didn't know, he was the son of the right hand. Wherever you from, whoever you are, God has a plan for your life. Wherever you come from, whatever you've done wrong, it's alright. God has a plan. Has a plan for your life. Can anybody say thank you, Jesus? Because society might call you trouble, but God calls you triumphant. Society may call you bad, but God calls you blessed. Society may call you a crook and a criminal, but God, 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 but God. She said, Benoni, you're the son of sorrow. But his name got changed. Mm. One day, my name got changed. I said, one day, my name got changed. I didn't do no writing. But my name got changed. And if anybody asks you who I am, tell them. They used to call me Thelma's boy. Tell them, no, I got another name. They used to call me black and poor. No, I got another name. Tell them. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of grace. I'm covered in the blood. His name is my name. Come on, stand up. Let's stand. Let's stand. Take one neighbor by the hand, just one. Introduce yourself.